welcome to DevCast. I'm excited by this afternoon's conversation. I think it's it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm John Janik, and uh, our normal co-host Adam D. Day off, and I am instead joined by our special guest co-host Sherry Elliott, also from Dev Technology. Sherry, Sherry, uh, Sherry Elliott, uh, most importantly, was recently on the award-winning GSA AIML project. So congratulations on that big win, Sherry. She also uh, graduated from uh, Norfolk a long time ago, Norfolk State University, did 24 years in IT, has done a lot of work in cyber. And so one of the things we're gonna be talking about today is cybersecurity in general. And we have a special co-host, so in addition to our special co-host today, we also have a really special guest and I, and I just cannot tell you how excited I am about this. So I'm going to do the introduction and then turn it over to Sherry. So we are joined today by uh, Ms. Renata Spinks, who is the Cyber Technology Officer and Senior Executive Service Member of the United States Marine Corps' Marine Forces Cyberspace Command. And this is really amazing because uh, not only is Ms. Spinks the first cyber technology officer in the Marine Corps, uh, but she has a, a amazing uh, history, right? And, and she's been doing cyber and IT for a really long time and has been continually recognized for her leadership vision and forward momentum uh, across the board, right? Most recently this year, as the Department of Defense uh, Black Engineer of the Year awardee for senior executives. Uh, also former Army, Hua, uh, glad yeah. to hear it. Um, and um, with that, uh, I think I think we're going to just dive right into it. Uh, so Sherry, so welcome to the show, Sherry, and uh, and let's 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 kind of have a conversation about cyber and National Cybersecurity Awareness Month and. And let's uh, welcome our guest and, and ask Ms. Spinks some great questions. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for having me on today. And um, welcome, Ms. Renata Spinks. Thank you again, Renata, for coming on. And so, like John said, we did just want to kind of, you know, uh, touch on the whole cybersecurity approach. But in addition to that, um, I also wanted to kind of talk about, you know, women in IT and women in cyber, and also women in color, color um, with cyber. So first, I'd like to start off just getting a little bit of background um, about you. Like, how did you get started in IT? So IT came about haphazardly. Um, always was interested in computers as a little girl. My mother um, was taking correspondence courses while I was um, yet a little thing. And I would steal her, um, or I wouldn't steal it, but I would take it without permission. So I guess I'm stealing it for the intent not to give it back. But I would take her little um, red and white typewriter. I don't know if people remember that, but it was called a typewriter. And it was this little, this little thing that taught you how to type. It was like a little small machine. And so that was my first introduction to um, technology. But instead of me trying to teach myself how to type, because I already knew that part, I took the thing apart because I wanted to. I wanted to see how it worked, like what was inside of it. Um, so that was my first introduction to technology, but not so much in Louisiana where that was some, you know, it's not the mecca of technology. So I went throughout high school um, just learning a little bit about technology, um, had a couple of entry level programming courses in the sixth grade, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I didn't even know how impactful that was until I got older. But 
um, that that was an opportunity where I was I was grateful and and I like to highlight that yeah in the sixth and seventh grade I, I did take a a programming class so that was awesome um, and then I went on to the to the to high school and then to the military and you know I, I always wanted to major in computer information systems but in the military I um, actually was in the medical field and I got introduced even more to technology during a deployment um, and in deployments, things are moving so fast, um, a lot faster than what you're accustomed to. And in the medical battalion, um, us being the only combat support hospital in the army, that was a 256 bed um, hospital, well, field hospital, 28 cash, um, pool, um, China Dragons leading the way. Uh, I learned how critical information was because uh, sometimes, again, things were either moving fast and quickly, or sometimes, um, you know, things were slow, but you're fatigued and, and you know, it's just the, the, the challenges you face um, in theater. And we would always have um, opportunities for improvement when it came down to medical records. So that's actually how I got introduced to information assurance and the integrity of information because that deployment allowed me to come back to the United States post-deployment and um, be involved with healthcare informatics um, because that's when we were getting to this, hey, medical records need to be available more um, from an electronic perspective and not just, you know, on some jacket that you're handing off to a doctor that may or may not get lost, that can get coffee wasted on it and all that information, which is so critical to the health and wellness of your patient is now lost. So that is how I actually got introduced to um, to IT in the military haphazardly by a deployment um, where I ended up going to the communication, the, the comms um, platoon and just learning more because I was just so curious about um, how technology was so critical, our communications was so critical to um, to our healthcare and, and our ability to to maneuver um, our soldiers in and out of theater, whether that was medical evacuation, which was my responsibility, or whether it was um, bringing our soldiers um, and patients into the hospital from whatever location or mission that they were arriving from and making sure they got the right care. And not only did they have the right care, but that information was transcribed into the medical record and that record followed them no matter where they, they went. And at that time, that was done by paper. So. Yeah, jumping right into EMRs, like right into the deep end. <laughs> it's always it's always amazing to hear people's story because when, you, when all the people I talk to in IT, only maybe about one or two percent of them actually came into IT with that intent. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Where they major it and they go straight in and and they start working and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I majored in it and and I went forth and this that and a third. Even if they majored in it, it seems people tend to have taken another route around it before they actually wind up. Um, in actual working in IT. So during your time, especially, you know, probably early on in your career, what were some of the obstacles that you found that you had to overcome in your career, whether it be from the time frame, frame or more so from the perspective of being a woman early on in technology? You know, that's, a, that's an awesome question. Um, I, I like to talk to people and let them know that there's this favorite D word that I have in my life is and it's deliberate, like very deliberate 
because I learned that you have to be very deliberate in what it is you're trying to do when um, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your personal, spiritual, financial lives. You just have to be deliberate. You have to put forth deliberate effort. And that deliberateness that I like to, to highlight about my life is tenacity. Um, you know, I, I don't maneuver very well to the left or the right unless I want to go that way, unless I want to go that way. Um, and that that's taken a lot of a lot of hard work and mentoring and coaching and, and confidence building and, um, you know, start, restart, reflect, do even more confidence building and, and get some, a little bit more coaching. But the obstacles, I think, along the way were they were probably multifold. Um, coming out of the military, I, I noticed something about my own self, which was I had gotten very custom, even though it was, you know, a short stint for four years and then inactive reserve for three. Um, I was so young and still my mind was so impressionable because I came right out of high school that those four years was, um, probably the defining moments of my um, entire life and career. Um, because I got, and I got so accustomed to camaraderie. And the buddy system um, and anyone who served in the military, especially Army, going to basic training as an enlisted um, soldier, knows that buddy system. You didn't go anywhere without that person who was next to you. Um, and you, you you came to trust that person. And so when I came you know, into DHS, fresh out of the military, I, I didn't have anyone telling me that the federal government is not like that. <laughs> um, you won't find easily camaraderie. You won't easily find people you can latch on to with the buddy system because as you start to move up the ladder or the ranks, um, you start to feel a little bit more competitiveness versus camaraderie. So I like to say, I don't think anyone felt the need to tell me that because no one really expected me to push as fast as I did. Um, So some of the obstacles was you know, when people asked me what my goal was and I said I wanted to be an SES by the age of 40, they told me I would never do it. Um, they, they, oh, you, you, you will never move that fast. And you're a girl. You're too young and you're a girl. And people would tell me that. And I'm so, um, I don't know if I'm so accepting or I don't know, but I'm, I'm so whatever the proper word is that I took it as a challenge. I literally took it from that person and I still talk to that person today. And I took it as a challenge and I looked at that person. I said, oh, watch me show you. I'm going to show you that that's what I can do. Um, and it would be in IT. And that, it, that was my first introduction to stereotypes and statistics um, being underserved and being underrepresented and, and outnumbered in three to four areas, being the youngest in the room, Oftentimes, um, being black, a black woman, so that's the third one, and being smart. So um, the obstacles that I, I saw very early on was you could often be in the room, and sometimes I would experience, experience that if you if you opened your mouth and you said something that was more eloquent or more accepting, that um, you know someone else didn't get a chance to say then you can you would get snarled that you would be your voice would be sequestered right after the meeting. You know, I was told you don't talk. You you uh, you say whatever you need to say, you filter it through me, you know, write it on a piece of paper and I'll say it for you. The purpose for you being in the room is not to hear you talk. You can be seen, but not heard. Uh, Those are things that I heard 
and was instructed um, very early in my career. Um, but I want to point out that I did, I, I experienced those things, but there was also a balance um, of also other women who weren't in IT per se, um, but I still had people that I could go and talk to and tell that here's what I experienced, here's what was said to me. And then I was coached. Um, and I think the most impactful person that coached me so well was Ashley Lewis at um, DHS. She was a senior executive. Um, she was the head of contracting authority um, for the acquisition team where I worked. And she and um, Deborah Overstreet, two um, Caucasian women who I, you know, I just didn't understand. I asked questions and I said, well, why, won't, why, do, they, why do they keep trying to make me your assistant when I'm trying to do IT? So I was, I was being pushed to become a staffing assistant or an administrator. And, and I would always say, that's not what I want to do. So that's where that tenacity and, and boss lady attitude comes from. And you're trying to push me to the left when I'm trying to go right. And no one can tell me why going right is wrong. Um, so those were some of the obstacles, Sherry. And I know we're going to have a great conversation today. So I'll, I'll stop right there and, and hand it back to you guys. Um, but, the, but the obstacles, I think, in summary was, was fourfold. Being a young Black African-American woman um, and being and being educated um, all at the same time. And so, and, you know, and some of the things that you're saying, I also have encountered throughout my career. And it's it's always hard to determine what is too much push and you know what's not enough, right? And mm -hmm. I think that women struggle with that in general because we're you know trying to get our seat at the table, if you will. And we can't seem to quite get there, even now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you think about it, I started my career 20, 24 years ago. You probably started yours maybe somewhere around that time frame as well. Mm -hmm. And we still, as women, are still not climbing as fast or not getting the same levels or recognition that we have that we should be, right? And, and we're doing mm -hmm. a lot of things. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's so hard for women to break the glass ceiling, in particular in IT and women in general? And then I still want to speak to the women of color as well. Okay. Um, I, I probably have an old-fashioned answer to that question. Um, women in general... When you, when you think of culture and you think about we who are from the 80s generation and, and then people who were born in the 70s, the 60s and the 50s, my, my mother um, was a woman who um, witnessed many of the civil rights challenges in the South. Um, she would talk to us about them a lot. And with my father being biracial, we had many conversations um, about um, prejudice, discrimination, and my father would like to say just bad people. You know, he would he would put them all in one bucket to say some people are just not good people. Um, because oftentimes maybe you couldn't put your hand on it that it's because you're black or it's because you're a girl, it's because you're young, it's because you're tall, it's because you're skinny, it's because you're fat. You know, it's it's because that person just chooses to treat you in that manner for that day. So that's the first piece. Um, that makes it really hard to, to isolate the root cause of it or, or the root reason, I will say. The second piece that I think is very important to note is culturally um, speaking, you know, when you look at TV and, and you watch movies, 
the things that mold our mind. Um, we, we're, we're just now hearing about podcasts probably the past 20 years as you had, you know, the dot-com boom, et cetera. But prior to that, it was radios and, and word of mouth and, and gatherings that, you know, even with COVID-19, today we don't really get a chance to do, but it was different gatherings that you had and, and conversations that you had with people and if you just really take a step back and think about the the era that we have come through, women were praised for secretarial duties, um, administrative support, librarians, nurses during the world, you know, during the war, the women were recruited for nursing, but the men were recruited to go to war. I I tend to to think back to those times when I'm I'm watching movies, you know, um, and that's what 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 you see, right? And so, it, it's evident it's evident on the stigma that's been put on women and the expectation that's been put on women. Women, but I dare not um, finish this podcast by not also saying the care and protection that's been put on women. So it's you know it's a catch twenty two. Um, why weren't women sent to war? Well, I, I don't know because I wasn't there back then. But talking talking to historians, I've been I've been told that it was because you know during war there was an expectation of death and women wanted to continue to populate. You know, women have children, and so you wanted to make sure that women and children were preserved to continue the the population. Um, so so when you look at it that way. It, you can understand it, but at some point, when do we evolve and when do we get past it? it it's very difficult when something has been ingrained in, a, in people for so long and the ranks have been stacked with that mentality. You know, so the mentality of I see you as my sister, I see you as my niece, I see you as my mom, definitely not someone who should be telling me what to do or making decisions. Or even, honestly, um, Cherry, even smart enough to understand the complexities of mathematics. I mean, look at hidden figures. You know, we were we were called black women were called computers, um, and computers nowadays are thought of to be some of the the smartest, most genius um, machines in the world. Um, and even back then, they they were called computers, at least in in that movie. Um, but but you know, just thinking of mathematicians and just watching that experience of being a hidden figure. Um, racial discrimination, segregation, I think all of that has played a part in why we are so far as women behind the curve and as black women, not only behind the curve, but we're almost on a total detour and we've had to get on the road just to get to the curve um, and then try to get through the curve um, and around the curve is a, is a hill. Um, and that's because we are so outnumbered that it's an uphill journey and it's an uphill battle. Um, and it's it's always a challenge when you're outnumbered initially. Like, how do you build those numbers up? We face we face the same challenge um, in cybersecurity now, the talent gap. Um, it, it doesn't matter what race, color, creed, religion you are, there is a major cyber talent gap. And that is because we have chosen to not build up that bench of talent and to build up that pool of talent. And so I think that's the same thing when it comes to um, women. We we really are 100 um, percent. And I'm not proud of this statistic, but we are 100 percent as women and as black women dependent upon those who outnumber us that are sitting in the decision seats to 
call attention to the good work that's going on. You know, we're not asking anybody to hand us anything. We work just as hard, if not harder, in some cases. Um, our work ethic is a whole lot stronger. At least this has been my experience um, because we do have stereotypes to also get over and, and get through because that's just that's just the way it is. You know, people perceive you to be, you know, the diversity hire. I've, I've gotten that a couple of times. Oh, the Marine Corps just wanted to show that they were, they were diverse. Yeah, no, not so much. You know, I competed. Um, I worked my behind off the last 20 careers, 20 years of my career. And I competed with some very highly competitive candidates for this position. So, no, I'm not a diversity hire. But you would be surprised how many people ask me that. And, and they say, well, I'm not trying to offend you, but do you think you are the Marine Corps token for diversity? Um, so it's a lot of mentality. It's a lot of, um, you know, thought processing. And, and, and honestly, the, the fear of you being that one person that chooses you know, to 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 start to increase visibility on the expertise and the large scale leadership and the phenomenal job that and um, that women um, bring to bring to the table, to the workplace, to the office. Um, so that's one piece of it. And I think lastly, um, the gap is there or the challenge is there for for us to, to break that glass ceiling. Because some of us, we, we, we really get exhausted with fighting every time or trying to, to continue to highlight that I am here and I am just as good, if not better than you. And it's not about competition. Um, it is not about, you know, who's better than who. It's not about ego. We oftentimes, the, the many women in technology that I meet who have the same challenges that I've had, we are all asking the same question. Like, why won't they just allow us to show that we are here to be on the team and to move an institution forward. We're not here to ask you to give us any privileges. We're not asking you for any perks. We're just here to do our job because that is what we offer to the mission. Um, and I, I don't think I've gotten an answer to that question just yet. So we just have to keep pushing through the glass ceiling and understand. I, I like to tell people I had to land on the roof because I had to come out of the government and come back in just to get an opportunity to um to compete for certain positions because I felt like I was being held back. I can't prove it. You know, no, I didn't file an equal opportunity complaint like most people were telling me to. I didn't push against the grain. Um, I came out and had to come back in. And so that's why I tell people sometimes you got to land on the roof. You know, you just got to get around the ceiling. Um, and then sometimes when you break that glass ceiling, then after the ceiling, there's also another challenge um, after you get to the executive ranks, um, I, I would submit that there's there's that asphalt or there's that, you know, that tin roof or whatever it is that you got to fight through just to get on top of, you know, the, the house of cars that I like to call the IT industry. Just just even sit at the top of the at the rooftop at the table. You also have to get through that glass ceiling. Then there's another layer of the roof that I think you have to get through. And those are called your colleagues. And those are often people who don't look like you. Um, they don't go to the same bathroom as you. And those are the facts. It's a sensitive subject to, to talk about. Um, but, but we need to talk about it. And, and oftentimes, you know, when, when, you, when you feel like you have a seat at the table, there's also the challenge of those who are sitting around the table with you. 
even as executives, uh, they don't always want you there. Yeah, that's definitely facts. Um, so, I mean, do you think we're getting close? Because also I think about the from the perspective of once we do have a few of the women breaking these glass ceilings, how about do you think that they have a responsibility as well to reach back and try to further push us forward in that realm? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I haven't studied the, the uh, statistics lately. I think the last time I, I studied the statistics for women in technology um, and women at the executive ranks period, I think it was probably 2016, 2017. I haven't um, put my essay on, on those numbers, but we definitely um, have an obligation to reach back and pull each other up, take people, you know, take women along with us um, and help them, mentor them, coach them, um, not hold them back. And, 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 you know, since, since, since you brought the topic of African-American women, you know, just being honest, if we're going to be factual, black women are known to hold each other back. They, they're not, they're, they're very competitive. And that is something that we have to all work on. Um, some, some people say women, period, um, can be very catty in the workplace and, and competitive and not, not want to see each other succeed. And that's something that, um, I remember um, her name was Shauna Travis. She she actually, I think she either has a blog or she has a book and she talked about um, Stiletto Hills. And, and and what she talked about is, you know, the, the heel part was the women. It was a representation of women who wear, you know, their high heels to work and, you know, the things we do as, as our femininity shows continuously in the way we dress. Um, but she talked about the Stiletto Hill and are you using it to step up the ladder while holding on to your sister, or are you using those same heels to step on her hand so that she cannot climb? And that that was one of the most impactful um, seminars that I attended. And, I, and again, I think it is out there online uh, somewhere, but it was just definitely impactful because it was a group of five to 10 women who talked about some of their experiences. So we definitely have an obligation. Um, it's, it's incumbent up on us to make sure that we we extend the hand out to someone else um, and help them along. Um, you know the people who have gone before us, and and you know I have women in my life that's gone before me and laid a a, a and blazed a trail for me. You know I look at Miss Essie B. Miller, who was the deputy CIO um, for the Department of Defense. That is a that is a trail that no one can ever change. And being able to watch her come up through the ranks and um, you know, she retired in June of this year with 30 something years and, and, and how fitting is it and how grateful is, is it for someone like me to be within the department of defense and to see that type of representation? Um, so, so I, I think we're, we're getting there. Um, and, and I'm, I'm eager to continue to watch as we, um, bring more and more to the forefront in you know, cyber security, the education is, is getting a whole lot, lot um, more diverse at many different campuses um, from certifications to bachelor, master's. Um, I'm actually studying for my PhD in cybersecurity at um, Capital Technology University right now. So I think it's definitely happening. Um, but like you said, we, we, we started out a little bit behind the curve, but I think we I think we're on the path to, to catching up and and 
making sure that our equities are represented and, and we are moving organizations forward with representation, but we all do have a responsibility and a part in building those numbers up. All right. I just want to ask you a couple more things just before we tap. I know you do a lot of mentoring with women, I mean, with young girls. And um, I just wanted to ask you two quick things. One, how was your experience this year working um, on the Grace um, Hopper Conference? And also, what do you tell uh, young girls trying to enter into the IT industry today? Okay, so Grace Hopper is phenomenal. Um, I've not had the opportunity to attend. I was looking forward to attending this year in person, but um, wasn't able to do so, of course, with COVID-19. But I've seen videos and and able to come into um, a lot of the podcasts where they were preparing for the conferences. And I think it has been phenomenal to watch and to see the purpose of um, Grace Hopper and how that conference has grown over the years. Um, it's almost staggering um, the impact that's being made um, across the, the world, um, quite honestly. Um, being able to see all of the expertise, mentoring, and and quite honestly, the, the downright love and genuine care that's being shown um, throughout the conference and people who are involved in that conference is uh, it's, it's really something to take, to take pause and be grateful for. Um, I don't think we look at conferences and, and, and show gratitude enough of its impact, whether that's online, um, virtually, or, you know, having the opportunities to attend in person. Um, so, so Grace Hopper is, is, is something that um, I think everyone should have the opportunity to experience. Um, I think the Black Engineer of the Year Award conference that's um, sponsored by Career uh, Communications Group out of Baltimore that is an experience I think everyone should have. I think the Women in Technology conferences that Billington puts on down in D.C. is another opportunity. And the Women of Color conference that's held in Detroit every October is, is, is another area to, to see if you, and you know, and the way I like to say it is by the time the fizzle starts to wear off of the responsibility we have to each other. There's another conference that can help you get back on track and, and remind yourself that, hey, everyone's pushing towards the same goal um, and, and we owe it to ourselves to, to offer um, whatever it is that God puts on our heart and the opportunity that God allows us to have to pay it forward to, to either someone else or a group of someone else's. Um, so that's what Grace Hart Hopper. Uh, my, my personal mentoring that I do and, and professional coaching, oh, man, it's such a rewarding experience to work with young girls who, you know, they they look at you and they it's so crazy how they want to be just like you. And I like to tell them, oh, you should be better than me. I am so flawed. But what I like to do is also talk to everyone about their flaws because flaws are made, you know, that's who ma that's what makes you who you are. Um, and it also helps you not not lower the bar because the standards is always going to be high. That's why I teach my girls. You're going to always have high standards. But you also recognize that you're going to start and you're going to stop. You're going to learn along the way. And, and there's no such thing as failure. Um, you may need to pivot a couple of times. I pivoted in my career several times. I went from you know the military to, to Homeland Security, from Homeland Security did a detail at State Department, went to State Department from State Department Millennium Challenge, back to Treasury, you know, went went into Maine Treasury, 
then went down to the IRS. Now I'm into the DOD. So lots of pivots and zigzags. Um, but again, it was very deliberate because I had a goal and I had a mission. And I knew in order to become an executive with the expertise that I that I needed, um, I had to get smart on my, you know, the the area of, of focus that I wanted to to stay in, which was cybersecurity, information assurance. Um, um, I love the mission for human trafficking and child exploitation that I got a chance to be introduced and work through for a year and a half at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement team. And so I, I knew that I have to, you know, perfect my craft, but I also needed to know how to lead people and how to lead with empathy and by example has been one of the most effective things that I could have um, learned in my career. And so that's what I tried to instill in the young girls and, and boys. I have a group out at Morgan, um, up in Baltimore, some boys that um, I'm also proud of. That was my first group of boys, of mentoring boys this year. And just listening to, to some of their stories and some of their concerns and how sometimes they allow statistics to discourage them and being able to encourage them and, and say, no, 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 no. You know, let me sync you up with this mentor and that mentor. Hey, call in to this or listen to this particular podcast or listen to this this YouTube and then following up and talking about it. Um, it's very rewarding. It's been such an, a rewarding experience. And, and I think we all um, are obligated to, to pay it forward in that manner. You know, Renata, I just I think I want to just say I uh, <clears throat> sorry, Sherry, I, I don't want to jump in too much here, but uh, that that's really inspirational. Right. And I just want to be able to say as somebody who has watched for a few years now, you know, the the various things coming out of Grace Hopper first, it's mm -hmm. a it's an amazing thing for for everybody. Right. I, I think that we need to make sure that all organizations are encouraging their 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 women professionals to attend to spread the message that steam right because we mm -hmm. have to include design and arts in that in that mm -hmm. conversation as well is part of that conversation we we need that inclusivity and diversity of thought and approach and we need to make sure everyone has a seat at the table right so so grace hopper is one of the ways we can have those conversations in safe spaces and encourage people to realize that like hey it, there is a place for you at the table. Mm -hmm. To your point, you have to be able to take it, right? You have to be encouraged and supported and mm -hmm. find the tribe that will help carry you through, right? Yeah. And that's that's so important. Uh, I, and I'm yeah. just so, so happy to hear about all your other mentoring efforts too, because what what an amazing story. Uh, and I just think that it's it's really phenomenal. So I, I just personally, for, for me, I just want to say thanks for sharing that with us. And and Sherry, I know you, you said you've got like one more question you want to ask. So uh, I'll just throw it back over to you. But I, I just had to jump in there and say like, what an amazing, uh, profound thing to to just give everyone. And, and I want to thanks. I want to thank you for that, Renata. Oh, thank you so much for that, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm always inspired whenever, you know, I come encounter uh, encounter with a, a woman of color that has such a diverse background, <clears throat> basically gives me inspiration, makes me feel empowered, like, oh, okay, I can keep trudging. The ceiling may not be just um, that much um, further away for, you know, for me and my my journey and for the next woman. But mm -hmm. the, the, um, the last thing I want to ask you, Renata, is... If you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, 
um, in tech or IT. And knowing what you know now and what you've experienced now, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Or what would you say? Um, man, Sherry, you got me on that one. Um, I think the piece of advice that I would give myself way, way, way back when I first started my career, I will, um, I don't know exactly what I would tell myself because my experiences, I think, have made me the person I am today. Um, I've had some letdowns and some some erroneous um, choices that I made that I wouldn't even tell myself to avoid those things because I don't think I would have a space of humility if I didn't go through um, a few things um, and watch how how God can really just take you and keep you within his arms of protection, no matter if you're, like my dad used to say, <laughs> no matter if you're doing crazy stuff or not, you know, you still have that um space of protection. So as, as I think about would I have done anything differently if I had to, you know, there's this movie um, that I watch all the time um, that lets you go back in time. Um, uh, Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass, I think it's called. And, and you go back in time and, and try to, they try to change things from happening. I, I don't, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would change anything. Um, I probably would tell myself more often that you got this, it is okay, it is not you. I would probably have told myself that more often and actually I would have believed it more often because I had people telling me those things and I, I was just, until probably about four years ago, I was such a major critic on myself. Um, and that can put you in a space of depression, it can put you in a space of unhealthy living from weight gain to or, or unhealthy weight loss um, or isolating yourself from others because, you know, woe is you and, and, and these are the things you need to fix before you can present yourself to find that tribe, to use John's um, um, perfect analogy and, and input. Um, so I think that's what I would do differently. I would tell myself and I would love on myself even the more um, because I do know now, right? And we're going back in hindsight. So I would probably tell myself to love on myself even more and spread that same love earlier in my career. Um, because I will admit there were some spaces in my career and in my life personally where I was bitter to the core. And people don't believe that, but it's true. I was bitter and, you know, I did not understand what was so wrong with me. Now, I didn't place blame on others, but I did ask, like, why can't I push forward and why can't I break through that barrier? Um, and actually, that that piece is probably where I would tell myself to love on myself more, journal more, process things a lot better, um, and then seek help from those who are in positions where they can help me and, and find that tribe and and never take anyone's advice for granted, even if they're not inside of IT, because I will tell you, Sherry, I have gotten some of the best mentoring and some of the best advice on leadership from people within the arts, from people within the blue collar side of the world. And oftentimes we can overlook, you know, um, our laborers and they're not technologists and they're not scientists. 
But I've got some mentors in my circle that I call and get their perspective. And it is such a rewarding thing when you can look across institutions and you can look across sectors and vectors of career paths and, and pull together this puzzle that helps you be successful and helps you reach your goals. And then you can pour that into someone else. So I think I would tell myself to, to love on myself a little more and spread love earlier in my career. All right. Thank you so much, um, Renata, for joining us today. I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to John. Thank you for having me. I love that answer, by the way. I think that is like so, I, I, you know, it's really funny, right, Renata? Because you ask that question, sometimes <laughs> people people will say, oh, I wish I had done this or I wish I had done that. And yeah. uh, this is gonna this is gonna show what a big nerd I am, right? But in Star Trek Five, right, there's a scene <laughs> there's a scene where Shatner is telling telling uh, telling Leonard uh, McCoy, right, that he needs his pain, right? He that, needs that, his pain, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, and you do, you, yeah. You only learn through yeah. experience, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and I think yeah. it's I think I think it's really I. I I love your your statement because I think most honest leaders would say, I I would have encouraged myself sooner. And and I really loved your statement about just saying, hey, you know, love, right? We we mm-hmm. need to we need to like say it's okay, you know. Yeah. You're my brother. You're my sister. You know, I I love you, and and we're gonna get mm-hmm. through this together, right? So, I think that's a a profound message uh, that especially when you talk about leading with empathy. You know, mm-hmm. you really need to to bring that forward. And so much of the time, you know, especially when you're doing day to day work, you can really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. You can, like, I cannot believe this person. Can you believe what yeah. this person just said? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it definitely um, takes it definitely takes conscious. It, it's a conscious effort. And by no means am I perfect. Um, I've caught myself several times. You know, and I hold myself accountable when I when I do screw up and, and I try to make sure I go back to that person and say, hey, you know, I, I kind of I shouldn't have came off the ropes on you like that or clicked off safe is what we like to say in the military. Um, but I, I'll tell you, someone mentioned to me that kids do this so easy. You, you If you go to a playground and you just watch our kids and if you have children, you just watch how they play amongst each other before they before they get old enough to start having a real opinions. But they bicker, they fight. I don't want you talking to me anymore. But then they can't turn for each other. And then, well, you know, I'm not mad at you anymore. Oh, we can be friends again. You know, if we could just take that childlike leadership, if we could take that childlike disposition into leadership, then I think we would see more empathy easily versus, you know, he went that way, she did this, the blame game, levels of accountability, and it's everyone's fault. Um, it's just, it's so crazy. And and my perspective is very different because um, I have been in multiple situations, um, different organizations, different spectrums of, of the federal government. And, and even, you know, having an LLC and, and running my own company from a coaching perspective, it, I think you have to make a conscious decision to show more empathy. And it is something that is conscious. Um, that we have to do because it is so easy. I mean, by it is so easy to place blame or to get on the defenses. Now, why that is, I, I think it's personal. I think it's it's internal that we have to consciously work on. I like to say you got to do the work. 
Um, and you got to process through the pain and, and find out what is it that God is trying to teach me? What is he trying to show me? What is the lesson I'm supposed to learn? And I think if you take that perspective, you know, working with General Glavy and these Marines have really taught me that you really, 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 really have to be deliberate in your thought process and the way you lead because everyone's watching. Everyone's watching. Yeah. Very and true. And that's an amazing place to, I think, to leave it. Everyone is watching, right? And and that's not a bad thing. It means that we right. all need to be good to each other and work together. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, you know, Renata, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us today. What a, what a profound discussion this has been. I hope everybody gets an opportunity to listen and, and really hear and reflect. Uh, we, we really try and make sure that every DevCast brings something of value to, to our listeners, uh, both in government and out of government. I think we do that successfully, but this has been phenomenal. And so I, I personally want to just say thank you. Um, it's been great having you on. And Sherry, thank you for joining me as, as the co-host today. I, you, I really, we're going to have to have you back because you're just a natural at it. And uh, I just want to say uh, that, again, uh, this has been a great experience and we need more of these conversations because Absolutely. this is how we advance the, the whole agenda and make sure that we're continuing to advance our country too, right? I mean, this isn't just mm-hmm. about uh, a particular demographic it's when we're diverse and inclusive and all together on the same page as a country we succeed better right absolutely absolutely i i appreciate you guys having having me here um and and thank you for for the opportunity to share a little little photographs of me um you know been experienced with Dev for for some years now, so um, I'm loving what you guys are doing with DevCast. I'm loving it, so I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and thank you so much, John and and, and Sherry, for um, coaching me through this, being patient with my schedule. Um, I just really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again, and thanks, John, for having me on as well. It's been a great, um, fantastic experience. So I'm super excited to put this podcast out and let everybody listen to it <laughs> absolutely and and renata it sounds like there's going to be a book in your future i can sense it childlike leadership I, that's a fantastic it title <laughs> it is you know i was supposed to publish in august and and my publisher had some challenges with every we, we all had challenges so we're going back to the drawing board and, and trying to figure some things out and it also has to grow go through its classification at the nsa uh-huh. so yeah. that makes it even longer i didn't know about that part but it's definitely coming. Um, a few of them are actually going to probably come right after another because I have been writing for five years. So. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. To yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Okay, so from all of us here at Dev, uh, look forward to talking with everyone again soon. Have a great afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to DevCast. See you Thank next you. time.